0: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Dane, Walker Bucks Reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Also representing ESPN Cuba City today. Not joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Uh, tonight we we sort of found out something interesting. Um we we know that Frank has a wife, and you may or may not have heard she is a Rockets fan, but we also found out tonight that his daughter is at least a little bit of a Rockets fan because Matilda was giving Frank a little bit of trouble and, you know, dad life, so you got to take care of business. So, I mean, I don't know if it's any coincidence that on a night where the Rockets lose by 41 points that, you know, his, his daughter's having a little bit of trouble. So, I think maybe now his daughter who is a Rockets fan is an appropriate title. I'm not hundred percent sure we'll have to hear from Frank tomorrow, but I mean, that's where my head goes. So uh, we'll see exactly what happened there, but uh, we can talk to Frank about that tomorrow. Uh, Today's episode, just kind of catching up on some stuff. And and again, this is, I, I was talking to Frank about this a little bit before I found out that he wasn't gonna be able to record with me tonight, but this is kind of turned into, to me, kind of a a dead zone period. And obviously uh, we will have a a press conference coming up here for Mike Boonholzer today. Um, And obviously we'll recap that on tomorrow's episode and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. So that can wait until then, but, once we're out of that period, I feel like we kind of hit a dead zone here because uh, obviously there will be some draft prep. but as I mentioned on last week's podcast, you know the bucks are not going to be having media availability for those draft prospects. so I know last year during the pod there would be a lot of times where you know I would update someone that we had talked to or uh, some prospect that we would talk about a little bit and then we'd be able to you know kind of chop it up about that but uh, that won't be the case this year so we'll have to figure out another way to kind of preview the draft but up next will be the draft and then obviously on July 1st free agency will start so once we get to that point then we can talk about that and we can talk about Jabari Parker and figure out some of all that but for now it's just kind of a a period where there is kind of a a lull I guess to some extent Uh, but in doing that, let's try to you know kind of wrap up some of the other stuff that we have seen from the last couple of days. One Budenholzer press conference, um, I. Can't imagine we will learn a whole lot, uh just because uh one, I don't know how open Mike Budenholzer is to the media and letting them know about any of his strategies or thoughts or anything like that. So that'll be fun to find out because you know it's it's a new coach and uh, another person to get to talk to. Obviously Jason Kidd wasn't the most open of of coaches, uh and Joe Prunty was not much better though. delightful to speak with because he's very kind, um and maybe that wasn't always the case with Jason Kidd, but uh, I don't know that either of them really revealed a whole lot about what they were up to, uh, you know, what they thought, anything like that. So um, to me, it'll be kind of interesting and fun to see kind of where Mike Budenholzer uh, lands on that scale if he's closer to you know being talkative or if he's uh, you know a little bit more secretive. So I think that'll be something fun uh, to attempt to figure out here uh, in the coming kind of weeks and days and months and year as we figure out a little bit more about him also uh i guess we'll kind of see who's up on uh up on the podium with him and who's kind of chatting through all of this stuff so uh we will see there one of the things that we end up doing often uh is kind of thinking about the playoffs and what's happening there and, you know, how that relates to what we're seeing. And uh, I want to do a little bit of that. And I guess one of the things that I I think I've found myself thinking about more and more often as these playoffs have continued is just it's it's an idea that I think Frank and I have talked about in the past, but not one that maybe we've spelled all the way out. But when you think about these teams that are playing – I think we've seen somewhat of an evolution in the NBA, in that, in and, and I guess Mike Booneholzer is a good reference point for this. So, when you think of that 2014 15 Hawks team, you think of a number of guys that you know could do some different things right, but then you could also scheme them to uh, do something right. So, like, you think of like a guy like Kyle Korver, that was a guy that could see the floor because you could find a way that, you know, he'd be able to get a bunch of shots and you'd be able to uh, use his gravity and find his space and use all of those things. But teams hadn't really figured out how to play him all the way off the floor yet. They hadn't figured out uh, the best ways that, you know, they were going to leverage that guy no matter what. Like you could play Kyle Corver throughout the playoffs. And I just don't know if that would be the case right now. And why I find that interesting is because I think it places a premium on the type of player that, you know, you're looking for the type of players that can play in the playoffs. And I just think when you see these teams play, and I even think of the Rockets now, like think a couple years back, like Ryan Anderson was a guy that you could play and you could find a way to get around Ryan Anderson's, you know, defensive liability and you could find a way that you know if he couldn't move his feet all that well, you were still going to be able to play him and take advantage of his three-point shooting and be able to leverage all of that but now you're in a spot where Ryan Anderson can't see the floor and I just think it's really interesting to think about how quickly the NBA changes and kind of what you're looking for now. Because I think in years past, and even when you look at this Cavaliers team, there's a lot of guys on that roster, Kyle Korver being one of them. But uh, a guy like Jair Smith and, and some of the other ones, when you look at the way that they play basketball and the things that they're able to do well, you can see that If you can't do multiple things well, you can't be on the floor. And maybe you you're not great at any of those things. I think the thing with Kyle Korver was, you know, he's great. He's a great shooter, unbelievable shooter, but not so good at those other things. When you look at the Cavaliers and the guys that are struggling in this series, it's because they're a little bit more one dimensional. They're guys that can't really find a way to impact the game in multiple ways. Now, if you, you look at that Celtics team, I think that's why you're seeing them have the success that they've had in this postseason. They have a bunch of guys that can do a bunch of things. Well, there isn't a, a guy on that roster that I'm trying to think who their best three point shooter is. Like there's not a guy in that roster that you look at and say, yep. Knockdown shooter. That's the reason why he's on the team. Like he's going to shoot forty-five percent for three. He's just going to knock it down. That guy doesn't exist on the Celtics. They just have a bunch of guys that are kind of okay at a bunch of things, and probably good to quite good at some other things. But there's not really anything that they do bad. And uh, I just think it's interesting to think about the way that the league has developed into a league where. You know, it is about adaptability. It is about switchability. It is about all of the different things that you can find within a player and all of the things that a specific player can do rather than just the one thing that that player can do well. And I just think that this playoffs has been a bit of a referendum on all of that. Like you have to find those guys and uh, you can kind of see in the Celtics blueprint that they've figured that out. And again, we're talking about, you know, two years later, three years later, whatever it is, this could change again next year. This could change again the year after, like all these things continue to develop. But I just think it's tough to imagine versatility or the ability to do multiple things will go out of style. Like that just doesn't seem to me uh, to be something that you're going to see really change. And it's something that, now as I, I kind of think through uh Mike Boonholzer in Milwaukee, like I just think it's those are those are two interesting kind of data points where you have the modern version of the NBA and not just the modern version of the last five years, but the modern version of this year, and you have the teams that Mike Boonholzer had success with. Like if you if you think back to that 61 team, one they struggled in the playoffs against the the Bronze Cavaliers. But also, when you think about them in the playoffs now, like I just don't know if they'd be able to find that same success. And part of that is uh, just because I don't know if the guys on that team could do a bunch of things. Al Horford, no doubt. Paul Millsap, no doubt. But when you look at the rest of that that roster, the rest of that starting lineup, you look at Teague, Carroll, Corver. I think Demari Carroll probably in that year could do a bunch of those things. Um, and maybe he'd be able to find his way on the floor, but, you know, core vertigo. I don't know. And I just think it's interesting to think about kind of how Mike Boonholzer will build this team going forward because he'll have to find ways to maximize the roster, and that's always something that he's been good at, you know, like the Wings and uh, Hawks University and all of that development. He's been good at those things, but where I'm interested to see is, Okay, so you get that development out of those guys, but does that development equal you're able to play in the playoffs and be successful in the playoffs? Because I think maybe that has changed a little bit, and uh, I, I'm also curious when you think about that adaptability. That's something that I know a lot of people have talked about. I mentioned it the the night or the day, excuse me, that uh, the Bucks had the the reporter that the Bucks had hired Boonholzer came out that. You know, Zach Lowe had mentioned the adaptability of Budenholzer and the changes that he made. And the one thing that I think is interesting there is that there, there's no denying that that defense moved from a defense that was very aggressive, uh, I don't want to, maybe trap happy in, in a way. Like it, it it's it was aggressive, it wanted to put pressure on it, it wanted to force turnovers, it wanted to make you feel the pressure. How that shifted from that to in this last year, you know, sinking on pick-and-roll coverage, playing a little bit further back, a little bit more conservative, and all of those things changed. And again, that's adaptability. That's changing from trapping very aggressive to more conservative. That's a change, but within that change, one of the changes we didn't see was switching. And I think the one thing that most Bucs fans agreed on going into this offseason, going into this coaching search, was that this Bucks roster is one that should be able to play modern basketball, that should be able to adapt to modern basketball because they have a number of guys that switch. And you saw the success that they had switching in games three through six of that series against the Celtics. In that series, they really just almost switched everything. Now, I'm not going to say every single action, but man, a whole lot of those actions. And in between the five different positions, Thon was uh, able to find a way to be successful and kind of use some of the those skills that he has. And that's an adaptability that I'm not sure we've seen Mike Bo- Budenholzer use. So to me, that's that's a major question as as we look kind of at the playoffs as a guide for what success can look like. And when we look at what Budenholzer has done in the past, and then when you try to meld those two things together, what are the questions you have? To me, that is that is the major question. Like, is this going to be, is the new adaptability that Mike Budenholzer is willing to show that he'll switch actions from time to time? Because that's something he's been largely unwilling to do. So I don't know. It's just something that, again... We don't have anything to go off of at this point. We don't. I mean, we haven't even had a press conference yet to go off of. So we don't know any of his philosophies, any of the thoughts that he has about the best way to utilize this roster. Um, But I do remain curious when I watch the playoffs. Like I think that's the style of basketball. As a Bucks fan, you want to see the Bucks play. You want to see them play the modern style of you know switching, flexibility one through five guys defending the same type of players, being able to defend those types of actions with switches, and we haven't seen Mike Budenholzer do that in the past. So I, to me, that, that's something that just kind of sticks out. Along those same lines, I, I think there's two other ideas um, and two other moves, I guess, this offseason that can play into those things. In particular, I'm thinking about the Jabari Parker decision because in that decision, you have to attempt to decide what can he do? How can he play? Can he fit into those type of rosters, that type of flexibility? And I think, and again, Frank and I are going to get to have a lot of Jabari Parker conversations in the next month, because that'll be one of the major things that we talked about in the lead up to the NBA draft and then to free agency on July 1st. But in thinking about him, can Jabari Parker fit into those type of flexible, adaptable lineups? Can he switch multiple positions? Can he have the mental awareness and, I guess the mental toughness to execute multiple switches within a possession and not get lost. Like we saw those things. And again, there was, there was this play that went around on Twitter where Jabari gets screened like four times and uh, Jalen Brown ends up getting a jumper. And I, I think it was after game two. And I remember a bunch of people saying, well, that's unfair. No one on the bucks would have gotten through those four screens. And, and I agree with that. Like you put someone through four screens, it's going to be really difficult for them to get through it and for them to defend it well. But where I don't feel sympathy is that there was a reason he was put through those four screens. They put him through a play that had that many actions because they knew that he would, you know, really struggle with it. That they knew that he's had problems defensively so they put him into that position because they had doubts about whether or not he could actually survive that and whether or not he had the mental fortitude to get through exactly what was happening on that play and you know kind of how he was being tested on that play and and to me that's the major question and it's part of the reason why this season was I mean, I guess a a bit of a disservice to knowing anything more about Jabari Parker because when he did come back, there were those lapses in effort. There was the the times where he cared, the times where he didn't care, um, and you could tell. And like I said, uh, this isn't me telling you what his PR is or what his advanced stats are. This is me telling you with my eyes, I watched, and there was times where he didn't care, and there was times where he did care, and uh, a lot of the people that support Jabari Parker and you know say that the Bucks should match him no matter what point to those moments where he did care, and again that's fine, but the problem I have is can those things pop up again if a coach chides him about his defense because Mike Budenholzer is someone who's obsessive about defense, right? Like you look at Mike Budenholzer's numbers. He's top five defense for most of his time in Atlanta. He's someone that comes from the Greg Popovich tree, which is very much about holding players accountable for the things that they do both offensively and defensively and within team schemes. So you would imagine that there might be times where Mike Budenholzer asks for more effort from Jabari Parker, asks for him to handle whatever assignment that he has offensively or defensively better. Like there will be those times and Right now, the only thing we have to go off of is his time with Jason Kidd and his time with Joe Prunty. In that time, there was a number of times, and there was a number of situations where Jabari failed. Frankly, there was times where you know he just straight up didn't care. And again, I understand their relationship wasn't great, and I think to some extent, when Joe Prunty took over that was just an extension of Jason Kidd to Jabari Parker. And he just said, well, you know what? That's still Jason Kidd. Like, if they're going to get on me about my defense or they're going to get on me about uh, the way that I'm moving offensively or the action that I'm doing. And you think back to that moment where he wasn't posting up and Joe Prunty was yelling at him. like You think about all those moments and you think, okay, if, if you believe that that's just an extension of Jason Kidd, okay. And you just shut it down, that's fine. And the hope would be, new coach, new attitude, no problems. But in the back of your mind, I think you have to be at least somewhat putting through (laughs) the idea that, well, what if that didn't have anything specifically to do with Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty? What if that just had to do with when he gets questioned? What if that has to do when authority says they need more out of him and he doesn't want to bring more? And I think that's kind of what makes all of this very interesting. So, one, you have the attitude, and then two, say all of it works out. He loves the new coach. Everything is perfect. Does he have the... The mentality to handle his responsibilities offensively and defensively underneath uh, under a new coach, and and I think that's a question that we still don't know, and we won't know until next season when you get to see Jabari Parker with a new coaching staff for the first time, and if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, that's terrifying. So, uh, (laughs) there there is a a large can of worms there, Um, but again. It all plays into that idea of adaptability, flexibility. How do you manage being able to do multiple things? And I think that question plays out in a major way with Jabari Parker. Is he able to do a number of those things? And can he be, I mean, just thinking about Jason Tatum in Boston, right? Like, and again, people want to say, well, you know, he's got a great coach in Brad Stevens, and that's the reason why he's been able to find the success that he's found defensively. And, I mean, I get it, but at the, at the same time, a guy coming out of Duke that had similar questions as just being a scorer works his ass off. Like there, you, When you watch Jason Tatum play, There is never a doubt that he is giving it his all defensively. And there's times where he's fighting over the top on a post up on LeBron. Like, if you watch the Celtics play, like Jason Tatum is giving his full effort. And again, you hope that when the the switch is flipped for Jabari Parker and he trusts the coaching staff that all of that can come back, but that's not something that, you know, and uh, you kind of have to figure out if that's going to be uh, the way that he can play uh, next season. And I think it's a major question that sits over the, and just kind of lingers over the top of this Bucks off season. Another way that this is related and another way that I've been thinking about it was the combine happens on Thursday and Friday and obviously a number of those measurements come out and uh, you start to think about a, a little bit who the Bucks might want to draft and um, kind of how all of that could work out. And I, I guess around this time of the year, we always, both Frank and I, will get a bunch of questions about how should the Bucks be viewing this draft and, and who are some guys that the Bucks should go after. And it, it's always something to me that... One, I'm not a draft expert. Like I watch a lot of NBA and I watch Buck's games obsessively. So like those are the things that I feel comfortable comfortable talking about and uh, trying to you know break down. So the NBA draft, like I'm not going to feel as comfortable about those things, but I, I guess for me, it's just a, a number of guidelines. And some people asked us about asked us about asked us. And some people asked us about it on Twitter. Like last year we had uh, Cole Wicker from the Stepien come on, and I was, that's going to be our goal again is to talk to him and, and kind of see where his, his head is at and kind of what he's thinking. So hopefully we'll do that again and have a more complete you know draft prospect breakdown and uh, let you know all of that. Uh, but at the same time, like as you're thinking about these guys, um, I think the big lesson to learn here is... Don't think about positions. Don't think about specific skills that you're looking for. Like, and this is going to sound like the worst cliche, but like look for basketball players. That's what you should be looking for. So like in my mind, a couple of things kind of stick out there like there's Zaire Smith is a guy that's around the Bucks area and when you think of Zaire Smith you think of his crazy dunks that are super cool but his jump shot isn't really great he might not be great off the dribble like there's other questions we had there so maybe that's not a guy that's that's super attractive uh to the Milwaukee Bucks. or you think about some of the some of the bigs and that's one that I'm really interested to see in there's a ton of bigs at the top of this draft and I struggled to figure out how those guys fit in the larger team concept of the modern NBA like how do those guys fit in what what's the ideal outcome for a big in the modern NBA and I think you're probably like is Al Horford the guy Uh, because you want someone that can execute all of those different responsibilities. You want someone that can move their feet. You want someone that can shoot a little bit. You want someone that can do all of those things, but who at the top of the draft fits that? And I mean, even a guy like Joel Embiid, can he stay healthy in the size like that? And I don't know, like just thinking of the idea of the modern big and what's the best case scenario for a number of the bigs there, like Deandre, Deandre Ayton's there, uh, Marvin Bagley the third, Jaron Jackson Jr., Mohamed Bamba, like all those guys, Wendell Carter uh, Jr., like all those guys up there, you have to kind of think through all of that. So, uh, as I take draft questions, and we'll get to do more of that, like just think of the players that can do a lot of different things. Like, don't think of, oh, this guy's a 40% three point shooter, that's the guy. Well, can he also attack a closeout? Can he do anything off the dribble? Can he play make? Uh, can he play defense? Can he do any of those things? And to me, that's that's sort of the struggle. Like, you have to be able to find guys that, that do a number of those things. And I, I guess the question I find myself asking, like, is it worth having a guy that's a 40% three-point shooter if he can't do any of those things or is it better to take a guy that's like a 36% three-point shooter but can handle the rock a little bit can make some plays can play a little bit of defense like to me with the way the league is going you almost think about some of those guys a little bit more so that's just one thing I've been thinking about overall so um hopefully this entire episode made sense I don't often have to ramble for 30 minutes by myself but I guess one thing that I think about when I watch the playoffs, when I think about Mike Budenholzer as the Bucks' new coach, when I think about the NBA draft, when I think about uh, the big, de- I think the next big decision for the Milwaukee Bucks this season and this offseason in Jabari Parker, when I think about all those things, uh, to me the the topic, the theme that has to be a part of all of that is, adaptability, flexibility, and can you do multiple things on the floor? And I just see that over and over and over again. And for me, that's kind of what I'm thinking about this entire offseason. And I think it's a a bit of a shift for me because in the past I would think about, you know, you got to find shooters around Giannis. you got to find guys that can just shoot the crap out of the ball, get – get four guys that can shoot 40% on the floor with Giannis from three. And you know what? It won't matter. But now I'm starting to wonder, would it matter? Like if those, if all those guys can do is stand and shoot, can they actually be out there? Do they have to be able to bring something else uh, to the party? (laughs) So I, I don't know. It, to me, it's a bit of a shift in my thinking in that I think in the past I would, kind of fetishize some of those some of those abilities like just finding one specific thing that you can do and do it really well and then a good coach will find a way to scheme you in and you'll be able to find a way on the floor and no matter what like in the playoffs as long as you can do that one thing really well everything will be fine I don't know if I feel the same way anymore so I guess that's just something to think about um I guess this is kind of my uh closing you know just kind of I guess one of the things I always want us to do is think more deeply about the NBA and think more deeply about trends and think more deeply about uh, what the Bucks could do or, uh, you know, be doing going forward. So that's kind of my, my thought for the day, flexibility, adaptability, how can the Bucks get more of it? And will that happen in the Mike Boonholzer era? So that's all I have for today. Frank will join me again tomorrow. We will talk a little bit about Mike Boonholzer's, uh, opening press conference, uh, that will happen today. I will be there. Uh, maybe we'll splice in some of the audio clips from that and, uh, kind of discuss some of the major thoughts that he has in his, uh, you know, press conference here in Milwaukee. So we will do all of that tomorrow for Frank men. I'm Eric name. This has been locked on bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.